we've uh, teased down our, our like intelligent sensory perception based on having too much information always coming at us like this. Mm-hmm. So our, our bodies are, are um, one speaker calls it homo sapien domesticated fragilis. We're this fragile domesticated versions of the homo sapien. So as soon as there's stagnation, there's friction. As soon as there's friction, there's heat. As soon as there's heat, there's inflammation. As soon as there's inflammation, there's, there's some kind of pain signal or some kind of signal in the universe that I need help, I need support. And if you don't listen, you create disease on every level. We've been throwing antibiotics on this planet like crazy. We're spewing like, I think something like 2000 tons or more a year, just like dumping into the environment. The bacteria are pissed off. They're like humans, get a grip. Like you are screwing this planet up and we don't like it. They, this is a big piece of what life is really about. It's about symbiosis, right? It's not survival of the fittest. It's survival of the, the most communal, the one that can adapt and can be part of the natural system. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and our guest today is the herbal Jedi, Jaro Willard from Canada. Jaro is a clinical master herbalist who runs his business, Harmonic Arts. He shares the healing powers of plant medicine, herbalism, medicinal mushrooms, wild foraging, and sustainable living. Jaro and I first met at the Biohacker Summit in Helsinki last year, and uh, I immediately loved his authenticity and his intuitive way of connecting with the natural world around him. And we're going to make ourselves a little mushroom cocktail. And he's definitely a super smart and super fun guy to be around, and I believe like entire society can learn so much from this traditional way of uh, herbalism and living with nature. So. Jaro, I'm definitely glad that you could make it, and I'm so, super excited for this. Thank you. Yeah, me, me too. Really uh, loved seeing you blossom and just uh, rise into your power of becoming an awesome, amazing human being. So thanks for having me on. Well, you've been a huge inspiration in this sense, so thank you. <laughs> so let's, maybe let's start off, like, how did you become the Herbal Jedi? What got you into herbalism and uh, plant medicine? Well, I originally got into plant medicine really as a, it was actually a family lineage. My father is a herbalist before me. And so I was like five years old and he was like, okay, everyone, um, this is my son Yarrow and he's going to tell you about Yarrow today. And that's one of the herbs that grows around here all over the world, in fact. And, you know, first thing I said was, well, you know, um, a fuzzy leaf with a tall stem and uh, I had no idea what I was talking about. But what I described was the kind of energetic way in which the plant showed up which was really more around uh, the intuitive way to learn from plants directly. And this sort of fed on as I grew into, well, there's more than just the books. There's a lot of ways we can start to directly communicate with plants and with the natural world. And in fact, we could communicate in way more than our voice, our ears, our eyes, and all of our, our senses. There's, a, there's a, kind of some omnipresence ways we can start to get connected with plant medicine and with each other. And, and that's one of my missions now is to deepen our connection with the natural world and that type of intelligence and communication. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. But uh, when did you decide to kind of turn it into a business? Well, um, when I graduated from my clinical herbalist program, I moved out to the West Coast here on Vancouver Island and I was going to be a practitioner and I was going to see patients. But, you know, being a young man that I was, um, people were looking for the old wise Merlin or the, the shaman, so to speak. And I felt like, hmm, 
maybe this isn't my role to be a one-on-one -on -one practitioner, even though I knew how to do this, I really wanted to connect people with medicine. And everyone that I knew around here had some shiatsu master or some massage therapist degree or some Reiki, some level of healing uh, energy about them that they wanted to do this same kind of service for the world. So um, we started a business based on the fact that everyone around us really needed connection to plants deeper and didn't have that access. So we started our company about 12 years ago now, well, 10, 10 years officially, but it was manifesting over those first couple of years. And so now we offer a full online and in, in many different health food store botanical dispensary that's all over Western Canada and even into the States a little bit. Mm, wow, yeah, that definitely, yeah, it's, it's a huge, I think, a very important point in the sense of uh, teaching modern humans to kind of get back connected not only with the natural world around them but also the natural world inside themselves in a sense we 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 kind of tend to suffer from this sort of a, a dichotomy between our environments and our surroundings yeah we isolate things down to like small pieces and forget about the holistic spectrum that is involved i mean i like to think of the microbiome or the gut bacteria that whole thing as as similar to the outside you know we're cutting down forests we're cutting down forests inside of ourselves and how do we ever treat healing this planet if we don't treat healing the internal microbiome first so yeah. it's kind of a give and take fractal relationship yeah it's also like uh, the reflection of the microcosm which is reflecting back at the macrocosm in a sense that you know the, there's these systems of the human biology that's quite similar to similar systems of society similar systems of natural uh, ecosystems and planetary systems and as well so it's <laughs> all connected or it's, it's it has like very core principles in the sense oh yeah I mean, I mean it's it's we're learning more and more about this as we go along people are becoming hyper aware now that uh, over 50% of all life on this planet is fungal and bacterial it's not humans it's not trees it's not all these other things that we see around us it's all the stuff we don't see and that's most of life and that's where all the relationships and communication and intelligence in the natural design is really stemming from. And so we have to appreciate that microcosm just as much or more if we want yeah. to heal and affect the, our, our own macrocosm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, most of the diseases, the modern diseases that people suffer from, like autoimmune diseases, and uh, diabetes, obesity, those, those sorts of things, they're actually like caused by a mismatch between our own biology and our environment so like we're suffering from this huge uh, evolutionary lag jet lag in a sense yeah well we we also um have lost our ability to sense blockage and stagnation mm. you know we just it's all around us all the time we see stagnation in our cities in our um, way of thinking in our spirituality and in our physiology so um, I believe that all health and disease is really about flow. Mm. Uh, how, does, how do we create proper flow? How do we create a balance and an equilibrium within that flow? And there's, there's way more to that. But essentially, as soon as there's stagnation, there's friction. As soon as there's friction, there's heat. As soon as there's heat, there's inflammation. As soon as there's inflammation, there's, there's some kind of pain signal or some kind of signal in the universe that I need help, I need support. And if you don't listen, you create disease on every level. And that's... Mm that's just a simple truth of the universe. So we as humans 
are now learning to become more aware of our own stagnation. Mm. As soon as we become aware of that, we can prevent a lot of our autoimmune, a lot of our cancer, a lot of our illnesses on this planet. We don't need to have them. We just need to understand the nature of stagnation. <laughs> so. That's very uh, super interesting that you said that, you know, that these, um, I definitely like immediately recognize that these big metropolis cities and these big factory nations and such, such they kind of resemble inflammation in the body in a sense as well, like that something is being conjugated together in a sense, uh, packed all together tightly and it causes a lot of friction, like you mentioned, and, yeah. and uh, lack of flow in a sense. That's, that's super interesting. Well, and you even look like, like here in North America, you thought the original white settlers that came along with their wagons, as they rolled around along the ground, they made these tracks. And where the ground became yeah. inflamed is where all the plantain and all the anti-inflammatory herbs would grow back up in the tire tracks or the wheel tracks. Wow. So like nature's doing that already, right? When we see we make a mess, these um, plants come in and heal that spot. And so I see that outside in that way, but I see that inside in the body as well. Mm. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's funny. Like nature is... Nature will heal itself. We're just getting in our own way. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the plants are here to heal us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, like, uh, what kind of plants do you harvest in your, your own business and your personal life? Well, um, herbal medicine is really seasonal. So I kind of have like a, it's like a, a speed date. I mean, without, without it being that way, like <laughs> over the course of a season. There's so many other, like each plant has its own time. And I'll be connecting with it in that time. And so right now is, well, we're in late spring, pretty much summer now. But so we've been going pretty hard because all the leafy friends, all our leafy plants are really abundant and available in the spring um, before they start to flower. So mm. right now, let's see, we, like that plantain I mentioned, we harvested a bunch of that. Um, very anti-inflammatory, great healing, first aid, lungs digestive system, any mucous membranes, just soothing to that. So harvest some of that. Um, cleavers is another one that we harvest around here that I harvested recently, basically because it is decongesting to the lymphatic system and is a great urinary tract thing. So I, I like to make and play with medicine, some as tea, some as tincture. Mm. Um, and I just fool around with it a little bit as a hobby herbalist, as much as we have a professional business. I like having the medicine around for people that I've just made myself outside of our business anyway, just because my relationship to connecting with plants is an intimate exchange with me and with the plant. And so I want to, I always find myself finding reasons to keep getting out into the natural world. And part of that is just foraging and connecting. It's not always even foraging. It's just actually spending time with them. So mm. I'll do a little bit of both. Um, I also tend to eat a lot of plants when I go out into the wildlands. And a lot of people kind of forget that most of nature, if it doesn't say it's toxic in your guidebook, there's a part of it that's edible. You know? <laughs> so just finding that. And in the spring, it's all the growing tips. So I'm just eating and nibbling on the tips of the huckleberries. You know, yeah, they're going to produce yeah. berries, but the tips are beautiful, like pea shoots. Mm. Some of the fir trees, some of the, you know, these types of plants the brand new shoots coming out of various um, sort of low-level plants is often are quite edible. Now, there might be a few that aren't. You just got to know those like five or ten that are actually toxic. And from there, it becomes a real um, exploration and uh, 
enjoyable thing. So yeah, like uh, it's literally uh, almost like a supermarket in your local forest, and the, and the, yeah, and the plants themselves are like more like several times more nutrient dense than the, the the vegetables that you get at the supermarket itself like these you know lettuce and uh, romaine oh, lettuce well. or whatever it may be in comparison when you compare the nutritional profile and like the wild herbs are off the charts with that with that those ones for sure they are they're they're also um like i mean we're as you probably are hyper aware of we're overfed and undernourished you know we've been we've dumbed down and teased out the medicine compounds in all the food we put in our markets so when we look back at our ancestry and we see that we ate a wide spectrum of plants from a wide like, spectrum throughout the natural world and just small amounts of them, we see that we got hyper nutrition, but it wasn't just nutrition. Here's the thing that's beautiful about wild plants is that the interrelationship between the plants. So I, I eat a little piece of a plant. It's got six or seven other friends that it's connected by the mycelium that are other plants that live in that same area. It's interdependency is a form of communication and intelligence that I'm putting in my body and teaching me how to show up in that environment and learning how to be in relationship with others. So mm. I like to think of it as deeper, more like intelligence. We are putting in a college education in how to show up in the world. So when I eat mm. fur tips in Finland, for example, um, I'm learning from the fur tip what type of environment this fur tip has to endure and be around especially within the season that i'm eating them and therefore it's telling my body okay this is how you got to protect yourself and those in particular are really good for the lungs so um, they're helping me breathe better respiration helping me protect myself from the outside influences and that's what i think of plants as the mm. biggest thing is they're intelligent by de by design and everything is sentient uh, we just don't know how to listen and how to learn our bodies do though we don't have to actually know this stuff inside we just need to consume it take time slow down get present so we can feel it and our bodies will respond yeah that's like a very super important point that you mentioned that the food that you eat or the plants that you forage they aren't just food or they're not they're not just plants with calories they're also like a vessel of information that and that information contains more than just those micronutrients and minerals. It also contains information about the seasonality, about mm -hmm. the you know, circadian rhythms of the environment as well. And if you consume that food, then that information is going to be dissected almost by your body in the sense that it's going to communicate with your environment and it's going to recognize what type of season it is, what type of metabolic processes you need to go yourself. And uh, for instance, you know, like mushrooms, they they uh, absorb more vitamin D in a sense that they, they contain vitamin D inside them. And these regions where there isn't much vitamin D, like the Nordic regions, then mm -hmm. people would historically, they would uh, gather these mushrooms and consume them during the winter time and because they would want to, you know, um, get more vitamin D into their body because they didn't get that from their environment. So it's like uh, food is almost information. It is, and especially it grows within each environment to feed and flourish and nourish that environment. Yeah. If we think of it as a holistic spectrum, the plants need the animals to spread them around. So they are continually catering to supporting foraging. Almost every plant that I know of likes to be foraged by like around 10 to 20%. And what's interesting is many plants, if they're overforaged, start to produce a different kind of chemistry. Right? They also read you. 
So your wow. saliva tells the plant everything about who you are and how you show up. So in that sense, in essence, one of the reasons it's nice to actually just mouth plants or wow. use your actual is to just teach the plant who you are. You know, one of the things that comes out of Anastasia's teachings of the ringing cedars is she says to put a seed under your tongue, set intention to tell the seed who you are, and then plant it in the ground. Wow. So you're teaching the plant how to create optimal chemistry for your imbalances. In this way, you're building that relationship of a give and take. And the plants want this. They want to support us in that sense. They want to support the wide spectrum of life. And not just them, so do the mushrooms. Just like you were saying with the vitamin D, um, there's a reason why many of the forageable mushrooms produce a nice tasting fruiting body. Mm. Or the medicinal mushrooms produce a powerful immune supportive um, aspect because they're immune modulating to the environment in general. They're teaching us that same way of showing up when we, when we consume them. Wow. So like, uh, for instance, if you consume some sort of, if you consume too much of a certain type of uh, plant, then uh, your body will be respond differently where, where if you were to be deficient of it. Yes. I mean, and, and, and so you should, like, we, we tend to think of our brains as packing in and storing information. Your brain is not supposed to do that. I mean, I think your Uncle Google or your, your cell phone, pocket god, as I call it, <laughs> can store that information for you. Your brain is to think and be conceptual with ideas as they come up based on the information of the universe. So you should know when you're eating too much of a food. You should know if a food is edible. You should know um, how it's responding in your body based on intuitively and internally sensing that. Like, how does the stomach feel when it goes, is it scratchy coming down? All the different texture pieces. We've uh, teased down our, our like, intelligent sensory perception based on having too much information always coming at us like this. Mm. So our, our bodies are... Our, um, one speaker calls it homo sapien domesticated fragilis, where this fragile domesticated versions of the homo sapien. So um, realistically, we can return that body into an intelligent design by, by learning from these plants and by doing that. And so, yeah, if you eat too much of a plant, you will know. I mean, I, I do that on purpose in spring. I eat too much nettles. Mmm, one of my favorites. Usually. I ate a lot of nettles first thing in the spring, but it's, I, I consider it my body recalibration. So I've been you know, packing on lush, yummy, fermented, and delicious tasting foods all winter long. Spring comes, here comes the nettles, super nutrient dense, and they, they're almost like a catharsis. I'll eat a lot of them and they'll move all of that stuff through me and out of me. And then I'm like, okay, that was enough nettles. Like, <laughs> Can't eat them all day long, yeah. but, um, but that's my first initial cleanse in the spring is using those greens. Yeah. So yeah, nettle, it, nettles are definitely one of the most recognizable and uh, easily eatable uh, plants. You know, what, what other ones are, you know, that everyone can kind of, you know, know that it's edible, what kind of other plants are there? Yeah, well, um, like I said, the, the spring tips, of, so each plant, a lot of plants don't have a full season of edibility. Right? So nettles are, are, are wild in the sense that they're edible really until they're like two feet tall. And after that, they become ropey and they, they form too much urtic acid and that's kind of harder on the body. So mm. you have to be careful once they're like getting too tall. But then the seeds are edible. The seeds are really delicious after, after that. And that's more of an adrenal kidney restorative. So that's a 
massive thing is nettle seeds. They're actually my favorite part because they're, mm. they're good for prostate. They're good for adrenals. But then um, that plant then has a root that's amazing. So there's lots that's good about that. And we could, I could go on that. But really, as you were saying, what are some other ones? Um, in your environment, I, and I'm just trying to like place when I was there, I really loved um, drinking the Labrador tea. That was the, one of my favorite. There's another herb called Sweet Gale that I saw over there that has this beautiful, nice little honeycomb uh, kind of style bud that was really delicious as a tea. I think you guys had huckleberries in your part of the world. Um, any of the vaccinium, blueberry, bog cranberry, huckleberry, um, any of the vaccinium family, their leaves when they're young are tender and delicious. So eating the young tender leaves are, are quite, quite delicious. Yeah. Many of the trees, similar, the, the first shoots, those, those first shoots that are sent out are quite delicious. Or in some of the cases like the poplar, um, the buds, create a sticky medicinal aspect that's emulsifying for toxins and can pull stuff out of the body. So I would say that if you're going to learn about plants, the real key in my opinion is not which plants it's which plants are useful and around you and to just take time to learn about three or four to begin with, maybe five and learn them deeply, spend time with them, eat a little bit and then move on. You've got a whole lifetime to learn. So I, I would just really try to deepen the relationship you learn about plants versus widen it. Don't try to learn about all of them. Okay. Just try to really deeply learn about a few of them. And you'll find a lot more value out of that when it comes to connecting with plants. Mm, yeah, because it kind of defeats the purpose of it. Which, like you mentioned earlier, that the people are disembodied from their senses. And they, if you consume too many plants all together all at once, then you don't know what works or what effect certain plants have. You have to mm -hmm. become more intuitive and to develop the intuition and information about it, how, how you respond to them. Well, it's easy to whitewash it like, oh, milk thistle, good for liver. Oh, dandelion, you know, good for liver. But instead of like, how does dandelion really show up? Like, how does it aerate the soil? How does it support the environment? How does it show up in every different way? What parts of it can I eat? And what parts of it are tastier? Is it nicer shade grown? Is it, you know, like learning deeper about the dandelion as an example? There's so much you can uh, become aware of mm -hmm. around observing and connecting with it that is just as healing as putting it in your body, you know, in that sense, by, by tuning into that, that frequency around the plants. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I also like to think that you should start off with, you know, your backyard and, uh, and uh, maybe like the local bush next to your house mm -hmm. or something like that to kind of, yeah, because you have to you have to develop the relationship with your particular environment. You don't want to be going on with, you know, to other yeah. side. Of, you don't want to go to the other side of the world to harvest, harvest some, you know, these like, quote unquote superfoods. I don't know, like, you know, goji berries and stuff like that, that aren't tuned with your yeah. heritage, your gen genetics and uh, your environment. So it's definitely it's true. important <laughs> to start off with your environment. I like to joke, my spirit animal is ginseng. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, people tend to, um, uh, be attracted to these plants that are like yeah. amazing super herbs from other parts of the world. And yet, you know, if you look in your environment, you've got herbs like rhodiola, you know, you've got the sea buckthornberry. Like I know when I was in Finland, I drank a whole thing of that juice and I was like, Oh, so good. And I actually brought two of them home and I've been nursing them. They're just the best thing ever, you know, but there's just, there's a season for that. And so um, I recommend you go hard on a couple of plants and you really get deep. 
with them. Just like a friendship, right? Like when you look at, like I look at, for example, on Facebook, I've got a gazillion friends. Well, I don't really know a lot of these people. I know a little bit about like a couple of them, but it's those that are really close to me that really add most value to my life. And, and I think that's important to remember with all our relationships, including plants in that sense, is that can I really deepen the value here by getting closer? And then what I've learned, like I've got a couple of plants, one um, I'm wearing a necklace of called Devil's Club, and it's a Oplopanex uh, Aurelia species that grows like a ginseng, Oplopanex being, Panex being ginseng, mm-hmm. out here on the West Coast. And I've spent, geez, at least seven or eight years really growing this relationship with this plant. And even before that had done a monograph on it and was really attracted to it, even when I wasn't on the West coast. But now that I've spent enough time with this plant that I go out and hang out with it in the winter, in the spring, in the summer, in the fall, all through the year, I've nibbled on every piece of it. I've connected with multiple time with it multiple times of the year. Anyway, whenever I need this plant, I don't even need to consume it anymore. It's energy of protection and blood sugar stabilizing and quality of connected kind of uh, guardian is with me and I can call that in. And so I know not to get like too metaphysical, but the spirit of a relationship with a plant can really develop over a number of years where that, that plant medicine is, is, becomes a powerful ally that could support you in all sorts of other things outside of just eating it. Mm. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Like, you have to develop these Jedi skills in the sense. <laughs> these aren't the droids you're looking for. They're, they are, um, but they're free. This is the thing that I also love to share is that plant medicine is people's medicine, right? There is nobody who can stop you. You do not need a degree in anything. All you need is some time, some energy, and some desire to connect deeper with these plants. This is free and abundant and available all around you all the time. If like my call to action would be, if you don't know the plants that grow directly around you, even if it's, it doesn't have to be by Latin binomial name, but you don't know them, like I haven't connected with you and I see your shape and I, I that, then, then you really don't know um, the world you live in. You live in a totally different world if you don't know the plants around you. And the way they show up teaches you how you can show up in a more resilient, more authentic more transparent version of yourself. Mm. Yeah, that's, oh. that's, that's an important thing, especially in, the, in, in this world or this modern world or modern society where people are like, yeah, not that, not that authentic in a sense. Yeah, we're, we're tuned into the wrong frequency sometimes, you know, uh, and, and that's, that's nothing right, nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm not here to judge that. Just know that um, if you want to show up in the same world like planet Earth, the physical reality <laughs> get to know those you're sharing that world with, right? Mm, yeah. You are a biological being, have a biological response on a biological planet. You're not an ether being in the ethernet having a nether space reality of <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's not real. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's maybe like talk about the, you know, reality of connection and stuff like that from like the perspective of the mycelium. Like uh, you mentioned mm-hmm. it briefly earlier, so what is what it is and how does it function? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just say that so much growing edge science is really coming up around mycelial intelligence and the intelligent design and communication networks of the mushroom communities underground. Um, it's it's really really neat to 
see proof to the pudding because you know you feel it when you're in a forest you feel this kind of energy that's not just the trees you feel this deep kind of uh, old wisdom when you step into a forest land and often it's the mycelium underground what's neat is that they share uh, their intelligence with everyone every plant every animal they know all beings in the forest and they grow these massive massive nets of mycelial intelligence that have a what's called a mycorrhizal root connection which is they're uh, they wrap around the roots of the trees and they feed them and they tease sugars out of them so they have this exchange where many of the minerals that the tree thinks well you think of a tree root as collecting all this and minerals and feeding off the soil it's actually just feeding off the mycelial connection and the mycelium yeah. are pulling energy from all over the environment wow plus it's we, we think of trees as sequestering carbon. So being the carbon banks that hold energy in the environment, well actually underground in the mycelium networks, there's even more carbon being sequestered and held and the trees are funneling carbon through the mycelial networks, feeding each other and exchanging this information continually. So baby trees in the forest, we found out are fed by mama trees, nursing them for a decade or longer as they grow up underground so baby trees can't actually grow in the forest unless there's mama trees nursing them because there's too much shade so there's some really neat stuff we're learning about that we're also learning about um the intelligence of the mycelial networks using various saprophytic plants which are plants that don't produce um chlorophyll in any way as kind of like a nervous system supporting uh healing healing properties so we have that we have all of it's just it blows me away when i think about the intelligent design and the communication that's happening back and forth between every aspect of nature, including the old dead stumps are still being fed as well as the new baby trees, as well as any disease, the whole mycelial networks recognize this and start funneling healthy support towards diseased organisms or out of balance parts. So yeah. what we learn about mycelium is really that they're the, nervous system slash we call it the wood wide web which is literally the the world's communication and immune system of this planet and and it's like wow there's a lot to that and there's a lot we can learn about how we can be more resilient and more in harmony just by watching the way mycelial networks share information mm, like is it the does it resemble the same uh, network in the, as in the movie the avatar have you seen it there's, yeah, I have, and, and there's, um, that movie is great because it really brings a visual to this phenomenon. Mm. Uh, the idea of them hooking into the mother nervous system of the planet, in that sense, and of each other, this is a big piece of what life is really about. It's about symbiosis, right? It's not survival of the fittest. It's survival of the, the most communal, the one that can adapt and can be part of the natural system. Mm. And what natural systems want is complex stability. Right? They know that they need complexity. So everyone needs a unique piece, but we need a wide diversity. Yeah. The, the smaller the diversity, the less stable the environment is. So even the mushrooms, the mycelial networks, they give way to each other. As the old growth forest grows, you get much more diversity of these mycelial networks too. And so, yeah, that avatar is a great example of, <laughs> of what we're talking about. But it's yeah. actually reality, which is the crazy yeah. part. It's not, it's not just fiction. 
Mm, yeah, it's true. And uh, I like what you mentioned that uh, it's not the survival of the fittest, which is to totally true. It's the survival of the most adaptable. And at the same time, being adaptable is about, you know, developing these connections and uh, relationships with your environment as well. So not becoming so dogmatic or not becoming so, like, like we mentioned earlier, inflamed and uh, friction, mm -hmm. being friction and uh, uh, stuff yeah. in a sense. We need, we need community yeah, and it's not just it. human community. We need like all forms of community and embracing them, right? As our equals, not as our underlings or, you know, it's like, oh, the plants, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, because it's they, crazy. Like, <laughs> like most of the life forms on planet earth are non-human and uh, bacteria, insects, the mycelium, uh, mushrooms, all those stuff that <laughs> humans, they're simply so egotistic and they think that they're so smart or they're so, so important. Whereas in reality, all of humanity could be wiped out by a single, I don't know, lethal bacterial life form, like instantly, the entire population. Yeah. So it's quite... And we've been throwing antibiotics on this planet like crazy. I mean, we're, we're putting, we're spewing like, I think something like 2,000 tons or more a year just like dumping into the environment. Um, the bacteria are pissed off. They're like, humans get a grip. Like you are screwing this planet up and we don't like it. They, we should have killed all the bacteria on planet earth at least a hundred times by now. Just the amount of antibiotics we've chucked at the planet. Mm. They've been adaptable, resilient and figured out strategies on how to like become super bugs, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, off the bear in a sense, and then now it's angry. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you're darn right. Like we are getting sicker because we are just oblivious to the, what we're doing. You know, this whole thing of um, irritable bowel and um, uh, gluten-free, do you know what that really is? That's just a marker that of, of the bacteria inside our microbiome being inflamed and the environment being from genetically modified organisms to just poor quality diet to shifting the ecology and creating an inflammation. Yeah. Like that's... around the world, every major city has the same phenomenon going on. It's like, yeah, it's exactly like these allergies didn't happen. They're, they were non-existent practically like a few decades ago when people were still walking around in nature, when they were getting their hands dirty, they were still connected with their environment and they were, yeah. they were eating like natural foods. But after people kind of lost that uh, connection, then all these diseases started to emerge. And I believe like that's a, that's a huge issue about why these uh, gut uh, autoimmune issues are also so prevalent is that people, their guts have become domesticated in a sense that they aren't accustomed yeah. to consuming these uh, plant foods and accustomed to consuming this wide variety of uh, nutrients and uh, allergens even as well. So they're simply like in a fragile condition and to become more resilient against those things, then they need to kind of microdose, almost microdose these uh, plants in a sense yeah. to develop this anti-fragility start just start slowly right yeah. bringing this into your diet and even just going for forest walks you know yeah, um, even leaving a little bit of dirt on lettuce that you harvest out of a garden you know like yeah. um, build up that microbiome um, there's not one study that shows that capsulated acidophilus bifidus bacteria that are in a capsule that actually there's not one study that shows that those reproduce in your microbiome they might stop some of the inflammation for a bit so your native bacteria can grow, but 
truly we need a uh, resilient bacteria, not these little capsules. Like I think that's the, just the worst yeah. waste. It's a billion dollar industry around yeah. taking acidophilus that doesn't actually create new acidophilus in the gut. Yeah. You know, we need resilient acidophilus from our environment and different cultures. That's how we self inoculate. You know, nature's intelligent by design. We make it really complicated with our teasing out the medicines and trying to reinfuse them back in, but it's intelligent by design. It's inherently, this is all people's medicine. Just go for a walk in the forest, nibble on a few spring tips every, every so often, follow the seasons, track the garden, go to the farmer's market. This stuff is simple. You know, this idea of pro probiotics, well, I'm a big fan of prebiotics, create the environment. Prebiotics are food for gut bacteria. So create the environment in which you want to thrive in, right? This is also called in another metaphysical or, or I guess like um, way of projecting called pre-paving. Pre-pave the reality you want to live in, right? I want to be resilient, healthy. I want to travel the world. I want to explore my internal and external environments. Well, you can do that. All you need to do is literally set yourself up for that kind of success. And that means practice, practice, practice. Take the time. Uh, just like I know you are a, a big fan of practice, become the, the modern um, human who can really be a powerful person. That takes practice um, and that takes dedication and, and anyone can do that. Yeah. yeah, it's everything is conditioning in a sense. You're, every day you're constantly conditioning your body and your mind to adopt certain behavior mm -hmm. patterns, to adopt certain metabolic profiles as well. So you're actually in control of it all the time. You simply have to condition it in the right way and in a conscious way. So yeah. getting back in nature is one of the key things because, yeah, like the, the biggest problem is that people are simply so stressed out and they are stuck in that inflamed state that they don't even get enough chance to kind of get out of that rat. So what would be your recommendation for someone who is, you know, I'm too busy to go for a walk, walks in nature or... Well, I have, this, I have this saying, if you don't have enough time to take 15 minutes out of your day to walk in the natural world, you need a whole hour. <laughs> so like um, literally it only is, you only need 15 minutes a day. Like you, yes, go for big long walks, enjoy the natural world, get out on Saturday and go for a hike. That is important. But I think um, this concept of nature bathing, which is really just spending time in the natural world is the best place to start. And to really just, because even if you don't believe in this plant spirit communication of intelligent design, any of that stuff, just repetition of being out in the natural world, your body will inherently start to lose some of its inflammation. You'll breathe in that quality, clean air. The spores even that you're breathing in from the mycelium is a form of intelligence. The pollen in the air. Yeah. You don't want to bring in too much pollen, but regardless, the concept is taking small increments, small steps by just even going for a walk. You don't need to go for a massive run or swim in an ice water, which I love all of that stuff, but start in the smallest thing, like 15 minutes walking in a natural park in a day, every day, if you can do that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where I would start. The other place I like to start is giving people a sit spot, which means one spot near your house where you sit, and you, you go into a meditative state, which is really not like, like, om mani pane, om mani, like none of that. Just get present. Just sit, slow down the monkey mind, slow down the elephant mind. And now the monkey mind is the 
ready, fire, aim. Yeah, what are we doing? The elephant mind is, oh, I've done this before and it doesn't work. I don't believe you. Those two pieces of you, you want to let go of to sit, be present, find a nice tree and sit there for five to 20 minutes. Really five minutes is all you need, but do this every day or do this every week in the exact same spot. So find a nice spot near you. We call it a sit spot. This will help to start to get you recalibrated with the natural world. Even in the middle of winter when it's cold out, just go and sit there. Um, observe. Observe yourself. Observe your feelings. Observe the world around you. Observe the relationships of the plants, the people walking by. You don't have to. You can be totally distracted, but take time to sit in that same spot and build that relationship. That kind of practice will essentially tune you back into the natural world. Yeah, and it will also definitely tune you back into with your authentic self as well to mm -hmm. become more mindful again, grounded to, you know, refocus yourself back on the things that are actually important and uh, to not lose your focus in the things you do after that sitting break as well. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it. I mean, the, you'll find that sitting break gives you the opportunity to, to start to to imagine the reality you want to live in eventually. And that sitting break it starts to give you the energy to want to make that reality happen. Mm, yeah. So, so. I, I, I wanted to briefly talk about like uh, the uh, microbiome as well. And uh, you mentioned that, you know, we already talked about that uh, the gut inflammation and things like that are keeping people sick. But I also have a theory that it's, it's also going to keep the entire civilization or the entire population in, in, this, in a certain paradigm or a certain set of mind as well. Because if the individual mm -hmm. is, you know, inflamed, they're going to get more anxiety. They're going to feel more aggressive towards other people as well, like depressed as well. So like yep. it is, it is like a reflection of the individual kind of uh, spreading like a virus in a sense of spreading this type of inflammation amongst its people around them. And, that creates nations who are more aggressive, that creates, you know, entire continents that are going to military conflict in between each other almost. And, you know, if you fix the gut, then you can fix, you know, these other issues as well. People become more friendly toward each other. I, I agree. I agree with all of that in that sense that, um, and it's not just the gut, but it's fixing the relationship we have with the world, right? Like that's what our relationship with our internal Gut. And many people talk about permaculture as a form of gardening, as a form of creating layering. I like to think of permacultural gut design, like mm. we're layering in all of these different things. And, and I, I want to, I'm going to touch in on something very, I call it metaphysical, but it's really this, this really simple, I love to break it back down to the most simple, simple thing. And it's called how the universe takes energy out of the universe. There's this shape, it's a donut, it's called a toroidal field. And every cell, every solar system, every planet, every galaxy has this toroidal field shape, including you. Your, micro, your gut, from your mouth to your butt, is a modified three-dimensional field, mm. right? Your chakra system is the mm. same kind of toroidal field. So you're cleaning the tube, and all energy in the universe, all energy, is extracted from the universe in a toroidal field pattern, which means that your inner part of your donuts the hole in your digestive system is where you extract energy from the universe. So if that's not clear and clean and moving, then you're not extracting the right energy. So you actually consciously choose the type of energy you extract based on the relationships you build inside of your gut. So you have the ability to 
shift the type of relationships you build based on your awareness of that and extract different kind of energy. So just as something that I, I would give people as this thought is what type of energy do you want to extract from the universe and what are you actually extracting now and how are you going to get there? So in my opinion, it's a medical or it's a physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual reality. We don't just live in one place. We live in all of these. And where are the blockages? That's all I care about is that my extraction process, spiritually, am I stagnated? Emotionally, am I frustrated? Mentally, am I overwhelmed? Well, all of those are going to affect my gut bacteria. All of those are going to affect my ability to extract healthy energy out of the universe. So I'm not just looking to, to heal the gut. I'm looking to heal the stagnation, mm. right? And so I just simply, simply, simply would love to just bring it back to that place that in, on every level, doesn't matter where you are, know that all energy extracts from the universe in the same pattern and your ability to harness the power of that pattern is your ability to become resilient, wow. is your ability to be healthy. So what would be some sort of strategies or uh, practices well, to, to detox yourself or detox your gut? So um, the, the best way to, like, to really shift the pattern, if the pattern is out of balance, is just like the moon does. What does the moon do? It is wax, wane, wax, wane, right? So it's cleanse, build, cleanse, build and do this repeatedly cleansing building using patterns to to establish that trust so the moon waxes and wanes uh over a four week period which is like two weeks waxing two weeks building or two weeks waxing two weeks waning mm -hmm. that's the same way i like to view people um cleansing right dietarily doing a two-week like diet cleanse where we're purging all of the simple carbohydrates, the, the dairy, the, the foods that are inflaming the body. And we're taking herbs that are going to support the liver, the, the blood, the kidneys, the colon, and we're moving that out of us. Mm. And then for two weeks, and then we're cleansing that in that period. Then we're building that back up. So then we're adding in our medicinal mushrooms, our super herbs, our tonic digestives, our like healing anti-inflammatory compounds to really build that back up build up the microbiome and then cleanse it back again and then build it and then cleanse it. I recommend about four cleanses a year. If you only want to do two spring and fall, right? So then there's this other map that's on top of that, which is the season of the whole year. So winter is build, summer is build, spring and fall are cleanse, you know, in that sense too. So you can, you can really, uh, map it over a year. So don't cleanse in the middle of the winter when it's cold out. Cleanse as the spring comes. Cleanse as the fall comes. Those are your best times. And do this all the time, every year if you can. Um, this process will keep you young, healthy, and flexible, mm. right? When you are not flexible, you stagnate, you crystallize, you inflame. So mm. um, that would be my, my number one thing I'd suggest to people is do a cleansing. And I'm not talking about a fast. Do a fast maybe once a year. So really maybe twice a year, that's fine to do a fast twice a year, but cleanse dietarily at mm. least four times for every fast you do, right? Mm. Think of it as trimming off what no longer serves you because yeah. when you take things in, there's part of it that doesn't serve you. It's just letting that go regularly, learning how to let go of what's not. Like, and on an emotional level too, somebody says something like, you know what, what you just said was total bullshit. And I could be like, oh, I could take that in Like, yeah, what I said was bullshit. That's not fair. But reality is 
maybe what I said was not right for them and maybe it was not right and I could improve on what I said. So there's actually something of truth in that, what you said is bullshit comment, but I just take what is valuable of that and let go of the emotional charge, right? As an emotional level. Same thing, cleansing it. We need to purge all the time. We can't hold on to stuff that no longer serves us. Yeah, that is true. And uh, Bruce Lee has also like, I don't know if he was into this fractal maps probably to a certain extent, but he has this quote that um, adapt what is useful, discard what is useless and add what is uniquely yours. So he, he's kind of nailing the head in, the, in that sense. And I, I love um, his way of seeing the universe every, every time. Yeah. I, I just, there's one video of Bruce Lee with a nunchucks playing ping pong. Oh my God. Yeah. The most insane. Uh, I followed him a little bit because we share the same birthday. I have the same birthday as him. So, <laughs> so always, always liked his way of seeing the world. Yeah, yeah he's superhuman almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing is, is when we see examples, this is another piece of community. When we see examples of people who we admire as superhuman, like, wow, look at where that person has gone. It inspires us. You know, we need to be inspired if we want to take this health adventure on because it's one thing to, uh, I guess, intellectually understand it. It's another thing to be inspired and activate it. Like, wow, look at what that person has done with their life. You know, that, that's inspiring. And so I, I really invite us to always have guides and teachers and people that are one step, just even one step ahead of where we are, um, that are going to make us better and to surround ourselves by people who make us better and not, not to... Um, you know, not to fall back down when um, we're doing this kind of work. Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Because you're, you as a person are a reflection of your environment. So you can always choose whether you're going to be mm -hmm. the environment of social conditioning or the environment of your own choosing. So, yeah. And, and, and you need community. So just um, building up those who are inspiring and empowering you, both plants, both animals, both people, you know, those yeah. are the people you want to surround yourself by. And, and I just, I'm, I'm highly um, aware now of not taking on, it's like there's a lot of pain in this world. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of challenges. And I know they're there and I understand they're there. But if I focus on them, it's not useful for me actually helping heal them. That doesn't really do what I, I'm here to do. And so um, I need to surround myself by that type of energy so I can magnify it and make it more powerful versus um, focus on the problems. Yeah. Too often people are, are in fear from that state and that's, that just doesn't help. We, we need less fearful humans. We need more powerful ones. <laughs> Hello, my friends. And uh, let's talk about maybe like the some of the mushrooms as well, like specific mushrooms that uh, you harvest in your environment. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, as you probably know, I'm a big fan of the polypores, which are the, many of the medicinal mushrooms that grow on the trees with the multiple small little pores on the bottom and the kind of shelf-like mushrooms. These are my favorites. Um, I believe, <coughs> sorry, that they are like the ennobled species of the mushrooms. They're the highest intelligence. Their way of showing up, the way they eat the trees, um, this is kind of the, the, the biggest piece of the natural world that brings medicine. And they have a type of compound in them called branch polysaccharides. That's the main active compound. This works like an immunomodulant on the environment and on our body. So it helps build the education of our immune system. This is 
one of the reasons they've been like highly used in anywhere they've grown um, throughout history. And so they've really started to take off as a, an awareness point in the resilient human, how to be more healthy uh, consuming medicinal mushrooms. And I'll, I'll start with, we evolved from them originally. They are more self-similar than any of the plants. And therefore, they've developed similar strategies on how to deal with the pathogenic organisms on this planet. And that is to modulate the immune response to be more intelligent, really. Uh, they don't give us anything other than sugar, but they give it to us in the form of this beautiful map that teaches us how to rebuild our, uh, for lack of better words, energy into something more resilient. And that's, that's what I believe they really bring. And these are the reishi mushroom, the chaga mushroom, which is not a true polypore, but is a sclerotia. The red-belted polypore, um, the tinder conch, any of these ones that are growing on your trees that are polypores, every one of them contains this type of chemistry. So you can't eat them, but you can make them into tea or you can make them into tincture. So I'm a big fan of continually creating forest medicine out of the mushrooms. Like they're they're, they're one of my favorite foods and or medicines in that way. I take a full physiological dose, right? So, mm. how, do you, how does your business uh, manufacture them? Well, we have like four or five different varieties. We put them into all kinds of hot tonic drinks. So like what I'm drinking right here, this kind of thing, um, I will make a strong decoction of a mushroom tea, um, which would just be a loose leaf mushroom or, or cut and sifted. And then we also would make a strong decoction into um, one extract and an alcohol in another one and put the two together to make a dual extracted tincture. Mm. This will pull out both aspects of the mushroom that are medicinal. We'll also then turn that into a powder, re-dehydrating it into an instant juice powder you can consume. There's another super potent way that I'll then just put that into a smoothie, put that into a coffee, uh, throw that into different types of food depending on what it is I'm making. So there's lots of ways we can work with them. The important thing is, is that you can't eat them. You need to extract them. So my, my recommendation for people is you can work with a company like ours um, and gain some of these extracts, or you can get out into the forest and pick your own wild polypores um, and start making them into tea and or add them. So sometimes I'll get people to buy some chaga tea and then add in like 20% wild polypores from their natural environment. And so they might, the chugga tea might be from somewhere else. In your case, it's likely from Finland <laughs> because mm -hmm. that's, you guys have that growing there, but that's a base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, is, it really sounds very interesting. And, and you know, each one is... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, each one is very powerful and unique in its own. Like, I mean, I've, yeah, we could go and we could spend another hour talking about like lion's mane and its benefits for the nervous system or turkey tail and its benefits for the liver and um, resilience or reishi and its grounding uh, connection back into kind of Gaian frequency and um, meditation in a bottle, literally. Hmm. Each one of these has this powerful response beyond just immune support. Right, right, yeah. So, but are these mushrooms uh, safe to consume as well? Like before people go into the forest and hmm. get food poisoning or something, what, what would be like some of the precautions they should take when... Yeah, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start with dispelling one myth and then, I'm gonna, and then I'll do that. So really, really lightly, there are more poisonous plants than there are poisonous mushrooms. You just don't see the mushrooms very often. So when they show up, we have this thing called mycophobia, which is we're afraid of what we don't know and the mushrooms. We're afraid of these things we, we don't see all the time. 
So we have more fear of mushrooms than we actually have reason to be afraid of mushrooms. We should be more afraid of plants because there's more poisonous ones, if, yeah. if that were the case, right? But some of the poisonous ones look edible and we think they are and people have died. So yeah, there's a reason for that fear. Um, these polypores really all like growing on a tree and have a, a multiple, like thousands of little pores underneath the, on the, the fruiting body. So they're really easy to recognize. There's not one single polypore that grows on a tree that is wood-like with these multiple pores that is toxic. Every one of them is edible or not edible. Everyone's medicinal. Whereas the fleshy mushrooms, that's where we need to be a little more um, aware. And again, there's a lot of books that can share that. But my recommendation with fleshy mushrooms is you get to know them for the first year. You don't pick any. You just kind of get to know them and you key out three to four ones, especially in your part of the world, starting with chanterelles. That's a really easy yeah, one, to, one yeah. to start with. There's other ones that are really unique and simple, like a lobster mushroom. I don't know if you guys have that. I think you might there. Um, but there's a few mushrooms that are very unique looking. I just, there's some that look like every other scary mushroom or not scary, but we call them little brown mushrooms. I just wouldn't pick any of those with gills. I'd pick ones that are really unique looking and start to learn about those first as edibles. So we have some like the giant puff ball out here. Mm. Well, when you cut it in half, you can easily see it's got no gills. You know, it's a puff ball, but there's a Amanita that could be toxic that starts like an egg and looks like a puffball until it turns into a fruit. Right. So there's, there's a lot to know. I don't want to um, take too long about mm -hmm. mushroom ID, but just know that if you want to learn it, you can learn it really easily. There's a great books. There's great resources. Start with three to four, maybe five mushrooms and explore them. Just like I was saying, exploring plants, start with a few, a small amount and get deeper in your knowledge, build your right. confidence. And then like I eat wild mushrooms, for 40 to 50 days a year, like uh, straight out of the forest. There's this huge yeah. time from August till late October that we're eating mushrooms every single day, you know, um, and that's part of my seasonal cleanse is this wild mushroom intelligence mm. that I'm putting in my body and they're abundant and they're everywhere, but you just got to know what to look for. Mm. And like me, I'm addicted to going to the forest. So I find any reason to get out there and harvest mushrooms. <laughs> Stick to the straight mushrooms. Yeah. So what does your day look like in terms of eating and foraging? Well, um, I usually start with something liquid. So it's morning time here. Um, I find that in order to maintain a good flow state, I don't want to compromise my digestive tract mm. uh, for my first bit of the day, which means that I usually start with a hot, I call it, we call these like herbal lattes or hot tonic herbal beverage where I'm putting in superfoods, herbs, medicinal mushrooms into a hot liquid with some kind of fat similar to the butterproof, we call it. I think you guys have butterproof there. No, it's kidding. <laughs> but we'll, I know they call it bulletproof, but I like to call it butterproof. Nice. But we'll fatten it up. Um, and then uh, that'll slow the absorption of those down. So I've got myself this resilient drink that's going to slow the absorption of a bunch of plant intelligence, 10, 15 different herbs into my body versus food. Sometimes I'll do that with a coffee. You know, it depends on what that day is. It's just up to me, but I'm always going to fatten it up and slow that absorption down. And I might even, if I did a coffee, add the medicinal mushrooms in. So reishi, chaga, cordyceps, lion's mane, turkey tail, into the, into the coffee, if that were the case. That's how I start. Um, this time of year, we got a beautiful garden. We're really spoiled. I mean, outside right now, it's just gorgeous. And so we can forage a lot of our own garden block or noon when I get hungry. We will start to make some kind of, some kind of meal 
that's half that, half foods we've fermented or gotten from our farmer's market, usually eating one big, big meal in the evening. So I tend to kind of extend my fast with a liquid diet and mm. then eat a medium meal in the day and then a restful meal in the evening, which is a much bigger, um, now my energy, by this time of the day, I should have gone up and maintained this, had a light lunch, been able to stay up higher. If I'm so lucky, I'll have a little mid-afternoon, just like meditation, which mm. I call a 20-minute nap or a 20-minute sit spot. You don't need to go to sleep. You just need to turn off for 20 minutes. This is huge. Turn off for 20 minutes in your mid-afternoon in a sense of close your eyes or sit by a tree or whatever. That is better than a nap. That's the mm. best thing you can possibly do is to just shut down the ram, the monkey mind for 20 minutes. And then I'll eat my big meal later in the day. At this point, my energy should be waning. So the big meal is helping me slow and lower that down so that I'm getting ready for my evening, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm losing the desire to be ambitious and I'm just calming down my mind. So then I've had a whole huge part of my day to be able to be really highly functional um, because of that yeah. without being compromised digestively. Yeah, that's true. So what's, what's the dinner look like? What foods? Example. Um, well, in this case tonight, um, so we also are spoiled out here on the West Coast that like when I want meat, um, I bought a, a lamb. We literally picked out a lamb, got it, um, harvested it in the spring. And so tonight I've got thawing a leg of lamb um, from our own lamb, from or not ours, but from a farm just down the road. Have the whole lamb in my freezer. Um, and we just, so tonight's a leg of lamb with probably, if I'm going to do starch, going to be something high protein, millet, something might, might be like that. Um, or, but usually it just depends, but mostly it'll be lamb and salad, like salad crazy because it's the time of year where our gardens are too full of salad. We could eat yeah. like, so a massive <laughs> lamb salad is what we're going to eat tonight. Nice. Mostly greens and lamb, but um, maybe millet because I got kids and they like their kids are slightly starchitarians. You have to always moderate the starch intake, but when you're growing and young, you need that kind of calorie content. So I don't, I believe that it's okay to give kids a little more course, um, yeah. starchitarianism, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as long as they get some leafy greens in there too. So yeah, you're simply burning it off all the time as well. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what kind of, uh, what kind of products and uh, plant medicine are you selling at uh, Harmonic Arts? Well, we, we do a full botanical dispensary. So we offer superfoods and herbs as singles. We also offer tinctures, but then we have a line of blended products because we found it's easier for people to work with blends. So we have tea blends. We have what we call elixir blends, which are really herbal lattes or um, hot tonic herbal drinks. Um, we have syrups. So we do a whole line of syrups. We even do one that's like a root beer syrup that you can use for adrenal support you know mm -hmm. in that sense and it's got blood sugar stabilizing liver and adrenal support of herbs you know so we do that type of thing and then we do different um, combination tonic herbal powders for smoothies or other drinks mm -hmm. that's the main way what we've learned is our company is a medicine bridge what i mean by that is we're a bridge for people to access plant medicine from so we have like about a thousand different options for people to do that uh, the most popular, though, tend to be the, the formulated hot tonic drinks 
and the medicinal mushroom powders, as well as some of the sea vegetables. You know, these are some of our more popular um, things that people like to work with from us. Mm, nice. Yeah, like uh, I, I, I was trying them out at the Biohacker Summit as well, and they were quite delicious. And you could definitely feel like the effects of them. Mm. Yeah, I think what I brought there too was the medicinal mushroom powders, which are mm. highly potent, but also um, we call it the forest aid station, which is instead of first aid, forest aid, but it's just like a station of 20, 30 different tinctures. Um, so, you know, I've been teaching at a lot of herb conferences in the last uh, month because it's that season. And it's just always fun to bring out like a whack load of tinctures and have people taste plant intelligence. This is a great way to upgrade your body's awareness is just make a tincture and, and taste that yeah. and try it that way. Awesome, yeah. yeah. And, uh, so I, I also teach on YouTube a lot about plants and making plant medicine. And that's yeah. probably the better way to access this stuff. Cause I, like I said, it's people's medicine. You can work with our company, which is amazing, but you can also learn how to really start to connect and deepen the, and the potency of the medicine when you deepen it by making the medicine is, is that much better. Yeah. Where can people find you on, uh, online and your business? So you, you can find me at harmonicarts.ca. That's our website for our company. But you can also find me personally in my blog at yarrowwillard.com. And um, the college or the herbal school that I'm a director of is wildrosecollege.com. And that's an online herbal education school that offers a, a practical and a master level herbalism. So um, great resource for plant medicine. Even if you don't take a course, great resource for all kinds of information that's free on working with plants. Nice, nice. And yeah, and I believe like uh, I also have an affiliate program with your Harmonic Arts business as well. And you can, yeah. use, I think it's seamless for the discount. So people can definitely try it out. <laughs> yeah, please, please do. And um, really awesome uh, to see you um, being so resilient and doing what you're doing. I'm yeah, like definitely. Uh, one of, I'm going to ask you my last bit of question as well, which is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit that you wish you'd adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? I wish I stopped taking other people's truths as mine. You know, I have learned something in the recent years that is, I wish I'd learned earlier, which was really that where my superpower is, is in developing my own relationship with the world and not taking on what other people tell me, not regurgitating. I am actually a powerful being who is here to create a powerful exchange with the universe. And that's all on me. Um, I can do that in any given moment. And so my mind is not for putting through other people's information. It might be for learning from that, but it's for deciphering the best, most useful thing for my life. And, and the other thing is, and I learned this already and I love this one, but it's just have fun, you know, enjoy life. It's not so serious. We take ourselves way too seriously. Yeah. I'm not here to be serious. I'm here to have a really good time and, and become a powerful being that's going to help this planet. I need purpose and I need to have fun. So I just, remembering those two things um, and, and keeping them in my heart as deep as possible is, is where yeah. I'm at. Yeah, yeah. You, and you definitely show it in your YouTube channel as well, uh, which is Herbal <laughs> Jedi, I believe. Yes. Oh, it is a good day to be alive. I must say, birthed out of this maple tree. Oh, 
I feel invigorated and ready for the day. How you got did, it. How did you come up with the name or what's the origin of that? Well, um, I just was having a lot of fun with herbs and really like being a influencer advocate about plant medicine. And a good friend of mine who's a, a DJ and acupuncturist was, um, he was like, man, you're the herbal Jedi. Like every time you always are dialing it to this next level of depth around like bringing the force in through the plant medicine. And it really stuck, you know, he said that and I was like, yeah, okay, let's, let's, let's go with this. And so um, since then, um, it's been, it's really helped me identify with the mission that I'm here to do, mm. which is to use the force and um, become powerful as well as um, help connect people to plants. And mm. so, so yeah, so that's, that's, that's the mission for me. Yeah, definitely. And you're doing a hell of a job in, in this, in this area and um, super, you know, we could talk hours and hours about these topics, but yeah, we're going to have to wrap it up. So it was so ple like, it was so pleasure for me to talk with you and I uh, really enjoyed it. So I'm definitely mm -hmm. looking forward to your future work and I would love to see you in the future sometime again. So for sure. Uh, ditto. Would love to see you in the future as well. And, and really appreciate the work you're doing. And also anyone who's listening, just really value your time. So thank you for taking time to connect yeah. with this and what we're doing and, um, and with all of Simlin's uh, work. So thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Body, Mind and Power podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on the iTunes or the other social media platforms. Definitely check out the show notes for the topics that we discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.